don't leave them stranded with, I can't think of anything. Think together, and that helps model the thinking. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal here is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Hi everyone, as you may have heard, this week we're switching it up a bit and are playing for you the audio portion of one of our IEW webinars. Today's episode is part two of that webinar, so if it sounds a bit like you're jumping into the middle of a conversation, well, it's because you are. And like we do for each podcast recording, we'll post any links or websites mentioned at IEW.com slash podcast. Enjoy! I don't know if any of you are in uh, Southern California, but in two weeks in Rancho Cucamonga, Inland Empire area there, Ontario, Rancho Cucamonga, I will be doing a live full-day high school essay intensive course. So that's an opportunity you might like to take a hold of. But that's probably the best way to get the information on the SAT or ACT. Now, if you need something longer, you can look at the super essay models. Here, we see the 12 to 16 paragraph super essay. This is essentially two essays inside of one. You have the super intro, then you have essay one, essay two, the super conclusion. To do this, you have to divide your essay into two parts. Recently, I was reading an essay by one of my students who divided the subject of pirates into two parts to write a super essay. One part was on the fictional or mythical ideas of pirates. What do they do? Bury their treasure, walk the plank, stuff like that. The second essay was on the real and historical practices of pirates. And so in the conclusion, you could compare the fictional, mythical with the real historical. Another way, another student, because we're kind of working on pirates, another student wrote one essay on Somalian pirates, right? So the problem of piracy off the coast of Somalia, East Africa. So one would be what is happening currently. And then the second essay was how do we deal with that? How can we help to change circumstances to reduce or eliminate that? So you take your subject, whatever it is, the huge thing, divide it into two areas, and then you go ahead and write a five to seven paragraph about each area with three topics in each. So that gives you 12 to 16 paragraphs. Another model, if you need something even longer, this would be a minimum of 17 paragraphs, and it could easily go up to 23 uh, or more paragraphs, and this would be the super duper essay. One of the questions that we had from one of the people who wrote in ahead of time was, 
you know, how do we do a 10-page research paper? So this is the type of model you might look at in terms of you have a big subject, you divide it into three different areas, and then you write a five to seven paragraph essay about each of those areas. That should help you. Let me talk a little more in a minute about length and structure. So the super duper essay, and there's actually a sample of that model in the Teaching Writing Instruction Style Workbook. So of course you can go back and refer to that super duper essay on Thomas Jefferson. He's divided into three parts. A statesman, a president, and an inventor. And then there's three topics about him as a statesman, three about before he was president, three about him as a president, and three about him as an inventor. Alright, so let me mention a couple questions here. Melissa, I love questions like this. Melissa has said, I have a 14-year-old, 11-year-old, and a 9-year-old all doing the same student writing intensive group B together this year. The 9-year-old loves to write and is keeping up great with the others. Would it be unheard of for, them, for all of them to do the student continuation level B together? No, not at all, Melissa. See, one of the things that we try to stress is that in, in the materials we publish, we don't really assign grade levels. We're kind of forced to say approximately what level is this for, but we always do that in terms of reading level. And, of course, there's aptitude as well. So if you've got three children and, you know, they're five years apart from the top to the bottom, but they're all doing it and doing well, and it's not unheard of for a younger child to like the whole writing thing or have a little higher aptitude than an older, you know, it's nice for you because if you're homeschooling and you can teach, you know, three different aged kids one thing, Kind of all at the same time. What you can do, of course, and what we talk about in the seminar, is that you can customize the checklist. So if you get into the student intensive level B and you discover that the checklist is getting a little long and strenuous for your youngest student, just cross a few things off that checklist. There's no rule that says they have to all have the exact same checklist. It is perfectly okay for you as the teacher, coach, mentor, mom to adjust those checklists as we've printed them for your children. You can add something in, you can cross something off, and you know that's that's ideal. Ideally each student would be challenged at the level where they're at. So I love your question because it shows you're doing things really well. Please give my best regards to uh, all three of your kids doing that and tell them that, uh, unfortunately, I don't look nearly as young or thin or good uh, handsome as I do on those old, old student-intensive videotapes. Okay, here's a great question. Erica is asking this. My two daughters are struggling with writing the conclusion and introduction paragraphs. We would appreciate more specifics in how to create a great attention-grabbing intro and a thoughtful conclusion. Now I'm guessing you wrote this toward the beginning of the webinar and I'm hoping that some of the suggestions that I have given during this uh, the past 45 minutes have given you some suggestions. In terms of the conclusion, let me mention that first. 
really helping the students figure out why is whatever you said the most important thing. That's asking some har a harder question, which is, you know, what are the impacts? What's the significant? What's the meaning? What's the value? Or in short, what's the so what of it? The most important thing Edison did was the electric light bulb because we can work at night. Okay, so what about that? So why is it good we can work at night? We can get more done. Well, why is that a good thing? Well, it helps move civilization forward. Okay, so so what about that? So what about that? So what about that? So you kind of string out the ideas in terms of what are the impacts? What is the effect of that? What is the consequence of that? I once met a teacher who said he taught essay writing by the who cares and so what method. To whom is that significant and so what? What does that mean? In terms of introductions, I would suggest, Erica, that maybe you and your students, I don't know how old your daughters are, but maybe what you could do is look at some compositions, some maybe some that are in the TWSS book, or articles you find on the internet, or if you still get a newspaper or magazines at home. Read the first few sentences of a published article and ask yourself, does that grab my attention? Does that make me want to keep reading? If the answer is yes, then ask yourself, what is it about that sentence or those first few sentences that causes me to want to start reading? If the answer is no, well then skip it and find something that does. And try to look for, in the real world, writers who do things that kind of grab you and cause you to say, hey, I like that idea. The other thing that we do have is the Magnum Opus magazine. We have collected what we feel are some of the best writing samples from homeschool students that have been submitted to our website, magnumopusmagazine.com. You could go through Erica with your daughters and look at some of those and say, okay, these are other kids. What have they done in their opening paragraphs to kind of grab our attention more or less? I really don't know any other thing to suggest other than look at the samples that we have, look at the list of things you can do, and then help them. Help them a lot with the introduction conclusion. One of my favorite talks that I feel is very important is The Four Deadly Errors of Teaching Writing, and one of those deadly errors is withholding help. And so having this feeling of working together. You know, it's funny, I'm here with Dr. Webster in Vancouver, and he's been encouraging me to write poetry. And, you know, the first one, you know, we just did it together. He gave me lots of ideas to work with. He wrote one. He gave me the samples, and we're just kind of talking back and forth. And that's really the way you want to teach writing with your students at home, is don't leave them stranded with, I can't think of anything. Think together, and that helps model the thinking. All right, Erica, so I, that might have been more than you were asking for. I hope it was helpful. Christy has a question. My oldest, 12, is naturally comfortable writer and is beginning to be very resistant 
to writing outlines in general. Any suggestions on how to continue to help her see why they are important? I am tempted to let uh, Dr. Webster chime in on this question. Burton, what do you do with a student who's getting to the age where they say, I don't need to do outlines. I know what I'm going to write. Is there a, a way to kind of encourage or require or show to students the importance of doing the outline first, even though it seems like some extra work? Do you have any thoughts on that? I've never actually run into a student who, who said something like that. Uh, what they will do is say, yes, they'll do an outline, then they won't do it, and they'll do their essay without it. And if the essay is well organized, you as a marker, you're not going to know the difference, because I think there are people who do have a well-organized mind that maybe don't need a, a model, How you know, don't need an outline. However... If it's an excuse for chaos, uh, I think one way one way I punish such people is uh, sort of give them a shock on the mark they get on their next essay. With many kids, at least in university, a 45 on their essay will wake them up. I, I would let the, the guy go ahead and do his essay without the outline if he insists. Then punish him if there's chaos. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. Punish if chaos. One of the things that I've noticed with the students I'm working with right now is that some of them do, and I make them attach an outline to the packet. So the packet they turn in has the checklist on top, the rough draft, uh, the final draft. And under that is their rough draft with edits that are done by their editor. So I can see what their editor did for them. If there's a bibliography or work cited, that comes then next. At the very bottom, I expect to see an outline. If the outline is not there, then, you know, they miss a point. They, I challenge that, say, where's the outline? But what I have noticed when I look at the kid's outline... I do see that some of the students are using fewer and fewer words. And that's probably the right progression. So, you know, if you look at our unit one and two, you've got every sentence in the source text, three words plus symbols, everybody's very dependent. By the time you get to unit eight, you know, one or two words will give them the sequence of ideas that will help them stay organized. So I think it would be okay to say, Christy, in this case, to your oldest, please keep doing the outline just so that you are thinking first and then writing, but don't worry about having it fully fleshed out. A basic sequence of ideas should be enough to help, and maybe that'll work for you. But I understand about 12-year-olds. They sometimes begin to be resistant to all sorts of things, not just making outlines in general. But I'm glad your child is, is doing well with the whole writing program, and I just encourage you to keep that up. Margaret, you're asking about transitions, and we haven't really talked about that. There is a method 
of helping students with transitions. We talk about this in the TWSS in terms of a transitional clincher, which would not only repeat or reflect two to three keywords from its own topic, but it would have one or two words that would allude to or reflect the next paragraph's topic. Also, I would say that uh, you could uh, study this a little more detail in the product we sell called the Elegant Essay, which is specifically about improving introductions and conclusions and transitions between paragraphs in essays. So that Elegant Essay might be uh, helpful for you as well. I wouldn't say transitions are often problems so much as I would say I would rather have choppy paragraphs that are very clearly on topic than a bunch of kind of paragraphs that are so mushed together you can't necessarily tell you know where one topic ends and the other begins. Dr. Webster has a comment on, on this one too. Oh, 15, 20 years ago, I guess, somebody came out uh, with what was supposed to be a method of writing essays but all they seemed to talk about was transitions. And I went through a stage where my students were transitioning me till I was nearly crazy. I Let me say this. In the basic essay, you do not need a transition between the topics because each one is separate. Now, when you get into the super essay and you have two or three paragraphs all related to the same idea, the same thing, then, of course, you do a paragraph on it, and then you say, in addition, because you're starting a new paragraph, but in fact you're talking about the same thing, uh, then transitions are okay, within the same topic. But to transition every paragraph in an essay, I hate that. <laughs> there's got to be, you transition if it's the same topic, but there's a break when you introduce a totally new pro uh, topic. Of course, there's a total break. And you start again. So the basic essay, there's all three big topics. You don't need transitions anywhere in the basic essay. But in the super essay, that's yeah. when it becomes yeah, more that's important. When, is, is that where she's talking? Is yes, it? that was that was her question. Yeah. So, yeah, that but was a good one. not everyone. Okay, I've got another quick question here. Melissa is saying, do students write them in this order on their first draft and then the correct order on the formal draft? Will it be easy for those typing, but wasn't sure on handwritten. Yes, obviously, Melissa, if you're typing, it's very easy to start and write this, the body paragraphs first and then the conclusion, then go back and add in an introduction. I would suggest if you're writing on paper, depending on the age of your students, you might consider having a separate page for each paragraph. So you could do the second paragraph first on one page. Then on a separate page, do the third paragraph. Then on a separate page, do the fourth. The separate page, do the conclusion. On a separate page, you could do the introduction. Then you've got five pages or, you know, five different essential kind of compositions. Maybe it runs over one page. But then you can put them all into order 
edit it up, and then you could copy it over, of course. If you're handwriting, you would copy it over in that order in a nice continuous flow. Or if you're typing it up, then that's very easy. So that's, that's a good one. All right, last one here that I've gotten. We've got to start wrapping it up here. We're getting to the end of the hour. Tara says, My 15-year-old student has been assigned a 10-page science paper. I would like to know if you would still include the most important and why. Would you state your opinion as an expert without using I? How do you write it in a way that keeps it a factual report and not an essay. All right, that's a that's a question with many questions. I'll say a couple things and then I'll let Dr. Webster chime in. Here's my first response to that. If a student has been assigned a 10-page science research paper, the most important thing for that student to know is what does the teacher want? Does did the teacher provide a model? Is this something with a thesis that needs to be proved? Or is it just simply expository, teaching someone all about some something? Because some teachers may want one thing, but if they don't communicate that, how do you know what to do? So I would encourage the student to try to see, is there a sample that this teacher has from past years or past classes? Who's giving the assignment? Because that could dictate the answer to some of your other questions here. But I'd like uh, Burton to chime, chime in here on uh, whether it's important to say what's most important in a science research paper, as well as is it safe to state your opinion without qualifying it by saying, in my opinion. What do you think there? Yes, I, I would, I would uh, pick something and say that this is the core of the matter. This is the most important element in this research. I try and pinpoint to something that you want to draw attention to that you have already discussed. It's just a good way of emphasizing, giving certain things more emphasis than the other. That's always a, a good idea. So, yes, I would try it. Although, you know, one way is for a child to ask the teacher, in the conclusion, do you want me to state what is most important and what is the core of the idea? An intelligent question like that is likely to impress a teacher. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it'll help his mark in the end. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I do hope that that is helpful. And Tara, if I know who you are, and you are who I think you are, one of the things that I would be happy to show you uh, when we get a chance is how to translate 10 pages into a certain number of paragraphs. Because there's a little bit of math that you can do to help a kid do that. Because, you know, a teacher said 10 pages, but a, a student has to say, well, how many topics, you know, how many, how many areas within the subject, how many topics within the area, and how many details within each topic? Because 
you know, the problem is anything can be limitless. If there's 10 pages, I would roughly say, think of half a page for a paragraph. So that would be 20 paragraphs. Yeah, so. Okay, now, which um, which one will it fit Probably into? the super duper essay. Will it be? Well, it'd be 5, 10, 15, 16, 17 on the low end. If it's an expanded essay, it'd be 7, 14, 21 with 22, 23, right? So it would be 17 to 23. That's right. And that depends if the student tends to be long in their paragraphs or briefer. Yeah, okay. But we're, we want the number of paragraphs. So I think 20 pages, roughly the extended essay? Yeah, 10 pages, 20 paragraphs, probably the, the super-duper essay. Science is, I can see, a 20-page arts essay. But uh, science? <laughs> you know, the scientists are usually more concise. Scientific <laughs> papers are some of the most phenomenal ones have been about three pages. <laughs> if you're discussing, you know, a, a Hawkins idea of gravity or something, it'll be three pages. And <laughs> you, you'll have trouble understanding three pages, far less 20. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Well, that's good. It looks like we got all the questions up to this point. Just very quickly, you know, review of our style rules. Once a technique is introduced, it's always included. The dress-up rules, these are in the TWSS minimum rule for dress-ups, each one in every paragraph, and you underline each one. Sentence openers, each one in every paragraph as possible, no more than two of the same in a row. And really, by the time you hit Unit 8, you should be having at least six sentences in a paragraph. Uh, you know, if you don't, that's pretty shy. There might be maybe one exception. You're more likely to have the problem of 8, 9, 10, 12 sentences in yeah. a paragraph. Mm -hmm. So that's where that no more than two of the same in a row fill in. And then the indicators, uh, until you've taught all six of the openers, you mark each one of each opener. When all six are learned, you mark every sentence so that you can catch yourself on the no more than two of the same in a row rule. Decorations, once you've learned them, one different one per paragraph, and you indicate that by putting the whole thing in italics if you're typing, or you can write DEC in the margin so the teacher can see that's what you're trying to do. Stylistic techniques should be dripped in as they become easy, and that easy means essentially that they can do it without much help, it doesn't sound too goofy, and if you follow the easy plus one rule, then you shouldn't have any students complaining about, oh, the checklist is too long, the checklist is too hard, and you speed up and slow down the rate at which you introduce the techniques based on how they become relatively easy. We, of course, want a level of challenge and rigor. We just don't want anyone to feel overwhelmed. All right, so we're at the end. Uh, let me just mention a couple quick announcements before we wrap it up here. And Dr. Webster, I'm seeing a lot of comments of people saying thank you very much for chiming in. So we are having a writing contest. You can get the details of this at our website, iw.com slash writing hyphen contest hyphen 2018. And the theme is essentially about how we can help people in the community. How can we help people hurting because of natural disasters? 
what can we do more to generate community involvement in helping. And so you can take a look at those prompts. There are cash prizes for both the students who win and the teachers who submit them with their students. We have the Magnum Opus magazine, and your students can submit. You can certainly subscribe. Uh, if you haven't got our Magalog already, I will be shocked because we really work hard to get this into everyone's hands, but if for some reason you don't have it, or if you'd like to get a dozen so you can give them to people who aren't yet familiar with what we do, please feel free to call up and ask for more. And we've got our podcast. The webinar next one will be April 23rd for Unit 9, our last one of the nine units, and then we go into some fun stuff during the summer. As if this weren't fun, of course this is fun. We've got our blogs and forum and e-newsletters and everything else that we can do to help you. And so I would just finish up tonight by commending all of you who are working hard to implement the structure and style system with your children, your students, those that you're tutoring or teaching, all of you who are in classrooms doing a heroic work on the front lines. Uh, I'm hoping that you will not grow weary in doing good and persist through, through Unit 8, Unit 9, to the end of the school year. And of course, we love hearing about all of your good results as you share them with us. And uh, again, Dr. Webster, we're getting more comments. Thank you so much. This is fun. I should, uh, I should get you on the phone and, and get you in on webinars more often. <laughs> yeah, that'd be lovely. All right. So God bless you all, and have a lovely rest of your evening, however much that may be. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on this educational journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.